0: Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schube, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl White, cultural psychologist with the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a gumbo approach to co-creating safer and healthier communities. I am delighted today to have with us Troy Bell, who's the city manager of Muskegon Heights, Michigan. (laughs) Troy, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know you are no stranger to us, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it is indeed um, a delight to have you back. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to maybe ask us to start uh, so that our listening audience can gain a bit of a better perspective with regards to who you are and your lived experiences that have informed the perspective you bring, as well as um, just kind of who you are as a person in your uh, leadership journey, just to share a little bit about
2: yourself. Sure. So, I still tell people the uh, story about the leadership training that we did with a guy named Stedman.
3: Uh-huh. And
2: uh, <laughs> finished, went through the whole leadership training, and I'm wondering, why is everybody asking for this guy's uh, signature autograph? <laughs> <ought> <laughs>
1: And you didn't realize who Stedman was at the time, huh?
2: The whole time. I had that no, is so <laughs> funny. <laughs> yes, the Mr. Oprah Stedman. So yeah. um, but yes. Now
1: you know he would not take time either. You're calling him Mr. Oprah I, know, Stedman, exactly. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: So he will appreciate that I did not see him as that.
1: That you didn't see him as that. That's right. Exactly. He was standing in his own space and his right. identity leadership that's is,
2: right uh, yeah. did an amazing an amazing job so <laughs> it was a it was a pleasure to be uh in that space with him so mm-hmm. um so yeah so um, my background is uh i grew up in a military family my father was in the service in the army for 36 years um, retired as a one-star general and my mom was a special education teacher and taught uh, special ed for 32 years and inner cities, Chicago, New York, DC. Uh, she even did a little bit in LA as well. Um, so uh, I grew up in a public service uh, oriented family, um, two bro- uh, two sisters and a brother, and we're all in public service. Um, started off with an engineering uh, degree from the uh, University of Miami. Um, uh, worked my way through school as a police officer um, in the city of Miami. Um, and started off my career building wastewater treatment plants but always had a passion for uh, the community for engaging community for uh, solving problems that would allow the community to realize the quality of life that all neighborhoods deserve that's the environment that i grew up in in the military living on bases and forts across the country Um, 13 different states as a matter of fact so i got A good swath (laughs) Um, did did some time working for uh, IBM and their public sector, local government um, coming up with solutions for state and local government, had a chance to work for the Romney administration in Massachusetts doing universal health care, the technology infrastructure for that initiative which is the precursor for the Affordable Care Act. So
3: mm-hmm. one
2: of those things have been in the right place at the right time in history. So mm-hmm. um, that was an amazing opportunity. And that was a segue for me to get involved in education arena, um, I helped build and uh, start and build schools and uh, ended up serving as a superintendent of schools out of Pasadena. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, my career track in city management has taken me to the city of Be- Beverly Hills, where I was an assistant there. And that's when you and I met.
1: Yes, you were assistant city manager, I think, at that right. time. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah.
2: And I've uh, had an opportunity to serve in uh, leadership roles in local government uh, until I um, went back for my PhD at Purdue University. i um, in the dissertation writing phase now, and I took this position at the city of Muskegon Heights in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where the research that I'm doing directly relates to some of the challenges in the community that I'm serving.
1: Yeah, so wonderful, wonderful. I mean, you have, you bring definitely, as as my boss would say, Rudy would say, breath and depth yes. <laughs> of experience to this conversation. And, and, if I, uh,
2: and if I remember correctly, he's a, a brother of Omega Sci Fi. So.
1: He is a brother of Omega sci fi <laughs> and I'm a sister of, of, uh, that's right, Delta Sigma Theta mm-hmm. Sorority, Incorporated. Yeah. So we right. definitely have the pan represented here today. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Our panel and council. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, as you were going through that, I know that there's so many different conversations we've had since our initial meeting at the Advance over, over what over a decade ago. Wow. Um, having your hearing your voice on policing, hearing your voice. You know, on education Mm -hmm. and um, now having all those things come forward um, and continuing to have um, a greater stage. Now we have this national chatter. Mm -hmm. I think um, we were always having these conversations and. The national chatter wasn't so loud. Now it's right. now it's definitely been amplified. Mm-hmm. And in that space, I'd love to amplify some of the perspectives and things that we talked about, because I thought you just brought a whole lot of perspective to those discussions. So I'm going to take you back um, to that perspective in those days with you as a police officer right. and reflecting back and thinking mm-hmm. about um, your learnings. What were some of the challenges that you witnessed that might could lend some insight to what we see today
2: so um the privilege that i had was uh to work as a police officer and i call it a privilege um it was my way of, it was a means to be able to pay for school okay. it was the, the one job that you could really do full-time at night get a full-time salary and still be able to go to school during the day and mm-hmm. Anybody that has looked at the tuition at the University of Miami knows that you really need a full-time gig in order to, be able to live and pay. And so um, what that afforded me was an opportunity to see the community that, that I aspired and um, was passionate about serving from a different perspective. My original objective was to become an engineer and design infrastructure and systems to be able to help uh, distressed communities move forward. And um, particularly, I was interested in, in doing some large engineering projects in Africa, but as a police officer, I was able to see, you know, there's some real institutional issues that uh, face us in law enforcement. Um, and I had a different perspective because I didn't go into law enforcement with the objective of making it a career, okay. um, but I, I was able to go through the academy with 45 guys um, uh, from different backgrounds, um, from different socioeconomic, racial backgrounds, and to see you know, when, when you spend 10 months together with a group of guys and girls, um, ladies and men, um, you get to know them from a different perspective. Um, we ate together, we showered together, we uh, worked together. You know. And in that um, process, I got to know what law enforcement really was at its core. Um, and so that's given me tremendous insight, I would say, into things that I would never imagined. I did not realize that in order to become a police officer until I applied, that all you needed was a high school education. And so, Not to say that um, having a college degree is the silver bullet that says that uh, that qualifies you to be a police officer, but we as a society have this expectation that an FBI agent should have a college degree. But how many times in our lifetime does the average person engage with an FBI agent? But the person that is on the street every day that we come across, um, we don't have that expectation that they would have a college degree. And why is that important? Well, you and I talked a little bit about how a college education requires you to navigate some of the things that uh, are bigger than you in society. High school, um, if you're an athlete, if you're popular, I mean, you can get through high school without really having to... Um, get out of your comfort zone, so to speak. But typically a college education pushes you in ways that um, force you to deal with things that are bigger than you. It gives you a broader perspective of life. Mm -hmm. It challenges you you in a way with a system that you have to uh, learn to navigate as opposed to being in command of that system. And so I think those people who've gone through that process look at the world a little bit differently. Um, and I think that's an important aspect of what we would ask or want in a law enforcement officer. And I don't mean to say that the, the guys that I went through the academy with and ultimately worked with were not smart people, some of the smartest guys that I knew. So it's not about intelligence per se, but it's more about the exposure to uh, the world in a diff- with a different perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And then there's another aspect of that. Go mm-hmm. ahead.
1: And so, so there I'm going to um, just... Um, I hear what you're saying with mm-hmm. regards to kind of cultivating the readiness and I'm yeah. going to hold that, but I also want to mm-hmm. go back to something you said with regards to you, it helped you understand law enforcement at its core. Right. And I'd love to know what that understanding was with regards to law enforcement at its
2: core. Sure. Uh, so mm-hmm. mechanically, mm-hmm. you know, how does how does law enforcement exist and persist in, in, in our communities mm-hmm. mechanically? Um, and when I say mechanically, um, I, I think about the fact that with um, uh, the, the processes that you go through in order to, to, to get through the academy, um, some of the guys that I went to, went to the academy with were legacies. They had brothers, they had uncles, they had cousins. Um, I was a new guy, so I didn't have any connections. But there's a system there that perpetuates itself. Because if you are a legacy, um, I had an officer tell me that he had I was concerned about having two or three tickets (laughs) that whether that that would keep me out of the academy. I get into the academy and the guy that ended up being my best friend in the academy, he said, I had like 36 tickets. And I said, man, how did you get into the academy with 36 tickets? And he said, my uncle's the clerk of the court. (laughs) And none of those tickets ever made it into the system. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so this guy is one of the best guys that is out there on the street, but that doesn't guarantee that everybody else is that. And so the vetting process, those are the mechanics that we don't know from the outside looking in and being on the inside I'm not taking any way, anything away from him as an individual, but there's a system there that we have to understand how that system operates at its root level.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna do this. We have to go to commercial break, but when we mm-hmm. come back, I'm gonna ask you to peel back the onion a little more with okay. regards to law enforcement at its core mm-hmm. and the system there that you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. And then I'm gonna jump us back to the cultivation necessary in order to be able to deal with this space. And sure. then look forward to us also talking about some of the thoughts that you have around individualism and, collect- and um, mm-hmm. collectivism and how all that plays into um, this Gumble approach, which right. I'll call it, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. like to that.
1: co-creating this safer and healthier uh, community. So please stay with us and we'll be right back with more mm-hmm. on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264.
1: Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC
0: It's time to take charge of your own career path, but how do you get started? First, tune into The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff.
1: And we are back with more on Leadership Matters. Today's guest is Troy Baer. I'm messing up your name now. <laughs> you I, I'm messing up the easy part. That's Troy right. Bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Troy Bell is the city manager of Muskegon Heights, Michigan. And today we're talking about a gumble approach to co-creating safer and healthier communities. Uh, Mr. Bale had the pleasure of serving as a police officer. And he's just kind of sharing a little bit of lessons learned along that way with regards to what he identified as the core of law enforcement, as well as the systems at play there. So I'm going to just toss it back over to you.
2: Sure. Mm-hmm. So what, what they taught us in the academy and once we came out um, was to be a good police officer was to win. And the definition of winning was getting compliance. Compliance um, is tantamount to obedience. Um, and that's what defines the identity of the police officers that I went through the academy with. If you are a good uh, police officer, you are able to impose your will on, um, in a situation where a potential crime or incident had occurred um, on the subjects or individuals that were in the area.
3: Yeah.
2: And so that by definition, um, it takes you out of the mindset of serve and protect. Mm -hmm. It's not about serving and protecting. It's about being a good officer means winning and winning means making sure that everybody does what you tell them to do. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then there are consequences. And Mm -hmm. so that approach, um, uh, reveals some of the issues that we're seeing uh, Mm -hmm. at least visually they've been there for for decades Mm -hmm. but at least now we're beginning to see them in living color
3: Mm -hmm. um
2: the ramifications of that mindset and that approach
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um
2: the guys that i went through the academy with and that i worked with um we we grew up watching cops Mm -hmm. uh, with this idea of you're kicking down doors you're chasing the bad guys you're throwing them in, in handcuffs and that Hoorah, that means that you're a good officer. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the mindset that people, a lot of people bring into the profession. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. that they're bad people, but that's the perspective that they have on what it means to be a good officer.
1: Yeah, and that's so, very interesting and telling. And I've heard mm-hmm. similar with regards to as a professor, having mm-hmm. had a number of police officers in mm-hmm. classes. Right. Um, I've I've heard them say similarly with regards to when they arrive at the scene, Mm -hmm. uh, the word they use was control. Mm -hmm. Like like their first mission is to gain control of the Mm -hmm. situation. And I would say, well, how do you do that? And much of what was described was through an authoritarian Mm -hmm. or authority kind of a stance. Right. Asserting authority. Mm -hmm.
2: Exactly i was fortunate enough to have an fto a field training officer that had a different approach Mm -hmm. on the first call that i went on with him was a domestic violence incident which is one of the uh, incidents that police officers fear the most because it's it's usually a difficult call and there was a fight going on when we walked in the door and he pulled up uh, to the table the kitchen table was a pack of cigarettes and he pulled up the pack of cigarettes and pulled one out and lit it up and started smoking And everything stopped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so he used a different approach to redirect the attention, Mm -hmm. to de-escalate the situation. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And the important thing to know about that situation, this is a guy that didn't smoke. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) But he was smart enough to know this was not about gaining control or submission. It was about finding ways to Mm de-escalate, reason, separate.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, that, that's what I think is lost. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, I, I have to just say the paradigm with regards to service, because you said mm-hmm. like that approach in relation to a paradigm of service, mm-hmm. you know, for someone who teaches customer service, you okay. know, and then that being the space, mm-hmm. we would say, you know, you're approaching someone and that that first step of engagement is a greeting. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge you as a human being. Right. And um, in establishing positive rapport. Mm -hmm. So how do I engage you with enough warmth where there can be a sense of trust so that there's not necessarily fear, which Mm -hmm. creates instability, but there's calm when we can, you know, just kind of bring things to a space of positive connection, which again, we're in a different space. So that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother space, but definitely the mindset is Mm -hmm. very, very different.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And and something else that I observed was, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of stress. Um, You're constantly, when you're on the job, you're in this, um, Mm -hmm. uh, they say it's uh, 99% sheer boredom and 1% sheer terror. So you're going from one extreme to the other back Mm -hmm. and forth. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in that space, you've got guys that uh, the opportunity to work is unlimited. You have extra duty, off duty work, you work your 40-hour shift, and then you can work another 50, 60 hours of off-duty work. Mm-hmm. And the amount of money that you can make as a police officer is in the six figures. Mm-hmm. If you work hard enough, um, and you know, my friends in, in law enforcement, they maxed that out. Mm-hmm. They bought new homes, they bought new cars, um, anything that was accessible to them, um, they purchased. Mm-hmm. The problem, however, is Once you do all of that on credit, you've got bills that go along with that. Mm -hmm. And now instead of working extra to get extra money, you're in a situation where you have to continue to work in order to keep up your quality of life that you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. That might not seem to be a problem to most people, but when you think about the fact that the majority of the folks that are in this situation are uh, barely college um, and 99% of the time high school education. Mm-hmm. And again, I said that they're. It's not that they're not intelligent, mm-hmm. but the options that are available to you to be able to walk away from that situation when it becomes too too much, and still be able to pay your bills, get another job, and pay the bills on the same level is mm-hmm. very limited.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, so you go into a space where mm-hmm. you know if I'm tracking our conversation, where um, you haven't really had the opportunity that college might provide someone with regards to being able to step back and consider some of those things that are bigger than oneself in mm-hmm. life and right. really be able to s- connect some, one might say, bigger life thoughts. Right. Um, so I may go in with the mindset that's not definitely completely cultivated because I'm a mm-hmm. school grad and I'm, right. I'm doing what a lot of people do. And that's what Stephen would say we get up each day. We kind of go through the routine before right. we know it where We're we're mm-hmm. sleepwalking. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just basically a mm-hmm. routine, not fully woke. And right. it sounds like if you can work all these extra shifts, then you definitely not fully woke. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that bringing and being our best does require getting some rest. So mm-hmm. just from a physical perspective, but I'm also hearing now I go in, I'm learning on the job. I've gotten really good, you know, some good training and mm-hmm. and some better and different than others. But even if it gets to the point where I recognize that, you know what? I'm not really cut out for this. This is a good place to start from high Mm -hmm. school. It allowed me to kind of get my feet wet, allowed me to establish myself, allowed me to get a comfort, you know, with Mm -hmm. regards to standard of living that I'm enjoying. But now I'm saying, you know what? When I really look at myself in relation to what it is I have to do every day. At one point, this served me well and I was serving well, but Mm -hmm. now at this point I'm burnt out. Right. But I got a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. So, where am I going to go and get another job that allows me to maintain my, maintain my standard of living? So now I feel almost stuck.
2: Exactly, mm-hmm. not only stuck, you're in a pressure cooker.
1: Talk to me about the pressure <laughs> cooker.
2: Because mm-hmm. you're going in every day, um, mm-hmm. tired, dealing with uh, stress, um, feeling as though you have no way out. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at every job across the spectrum, The choice to do that work is what gives you the opportunity to engage in the passion that you have for the work that you're doing, Mm -hmm. because it's by choice. When you're forced to do the work, Mm -hmm. then that's a whole different perspective. Mm
3: -hmm. And so
2: the circumstances that uh, my friends found themselves in was that they couldn't leave to get another job. So they were Mm -hmm. forced to do the work because they didn't have choices that were available to them that Mm -hmm. are often afforded by higher education.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And,
2: and I would say out of the group of 44, there's probably four that are still doing it by choice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And those of those four, two of them have a college degree and two of them have family businesses mm-hmm. that were fairly well established. Mm-hmm. So they could walk away at any time and go work for the family business. So when they go to work, it's because they choose to Mm -hmm. When they put on the uniform, it's because they choose to, not because it's the only means that they have to support their family and Mm -hmm. their family's lifestyle.
1: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So it looks like we're going to need to take another commercial break. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, another piece of this conversation that's um, that is connected in some Mm -hmm. ways is we're talking about um, that it could be helpful for police officers to have more than a high school diploma. Um, before going into law enforcement, that that is something to consider with regards to having people be prepared to be able to transition into something different. While another conversation going on in America Mm -hmm. is, you know, do we really need to think about removing some of the educational requirements so Mm -hmm. that people from diverse backgrounds will have an opportunity to um, opt into jobs that traditionally have been requiring education, and we have organizations saying they can 't find diverse candidates um, to fill those positions so mm-hmm. want to have that conversation on the other side sure. as we continue and then we move into what all this has to do with this gumbo approach to okay co-creating safer and healthier communities. So please stay with us and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
0: Voice America Business Network The Bottom Line in Business Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood high. House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the neighborhood house association's mission: developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders thought leaders and academics in a wide range of industries proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success tune in every tuesday at 2 p.m eastern time 11 a.m pacific on voice america business
2: trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor
1: across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America
2: Business Channel.
1: more on Leadership Matters to t- today talking about a gumbo approach to co-creating safer and healthier communities with Troy Bell, City Manager of Muskegon Heights, Michigan. So, Troy, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw it right back over to you for us to kind of continue this conversation, now really kind of focusing on the oxymoron of the other piece we were talking about, and that is mm-hmm. um, education, employers, You know, basically saying, well, if you want me to have a more diverse workforce, we need to look at the um, requirements, and perhaps we need to lower the educational requirements as a strategy for expanding our applicant pool. What's your thought with regards to that?
2: So, when I hear that, it makes me think of two things. One is um, that's a a lazy approach that is uh, just looking for excuses, and two... It's a, um, an effort to move the goalposts,
1: mm.
3: um,
2: say we, more, Yes, <laughs> <Jess, laughs> we were, um, promised that if we, um, did a B and C, you know, that we got good grades in high school, that we went to college and graduated from college and got a degree that certain opportunities would be made available to us. Um, and there have been systems put into place to, um, to ensure or to prohibit or to inhibit um, the uh, achievement of those promises and um, now they want to talk about lowering the standards um, and to me the issue isn't a matter of lowering the standards the issue is a matter of putting in the effort to seek the right spaces to identify the people that have the skills that you're looking for
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and it may take a little bit more effort because there, uh, even though we're decades out of the civil rights movement, there's still a uh, class and race separation that divides us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to be intentional about bridging those gaps.
1: Mm-hmm. And when we talk about us, because you said we were promised, is that mm-hmm. all people? Is that people of color? Who Who's the us in that?
2: Well, all people were promised that, but Mm -hmm. that promise was particularly uh, um, uh, an issue for people of color Mm -hmm. because we were already being discriminated against. um, And we were told that that discrimination wasn't based on the color of our skin. It was based on our um, achievements, our credentials. So then we go get the credentials. And those opportunities aren't, still aren't there.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so where might I go if I'm an employer and I'm looking for this diverse um, applicant pool?
2: Well, I would say that you go to the pools of diversity, which would be HBCUs.
1: And what does that stand for? Uh,
2: Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And
1: it's my understanding <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, there are one hundred and one of those in the United States in nineteen different states. Yes, fifty of which yes. are privately, uh, I guess, private nonprofit organizations, and mm-hmm. fifty-one which are public institutions. I think those are the stats from two thousand and eighteen. I'm not sure where that lands now on the other side of this pandemic. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have groups like Hispanas. Hmm. Um. Are Hispanic, Hispanics organized for political equality? Mm-hmm. Um, and so many different organizations, one might say, in addition right. to our historical black colleges, where we can get connected to mm-hmm. um, um, persons that mm-hmm. are of color that do meet these um, educational requirements right. for these jobs. Yeah, I think it's the message. Um, hist- and then uh, predominantly black fraternities and sororities are also um, Mm -hmm. wonderful groups that provide uh, community service in um, our communities nationally and internationally that can help fill some of those opportunities as well.
2: And my point would be until you've exhausted um, exploring those resources, Mm -hmm. then we shouldn't be talking about uh, changing the requirements. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned uh, historically black fraternities and sororities, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a key because uh, those fraternities and sororities exist um, amongst college educated people. Mm -hmm. So as professionals, those fraternities and sororities offer you an access to that resource of those people Mm -hmm. who meet those Mm -hmm. credential requirements. Mm -hmm.
1: Wonderful. I mean, we think of Kamala Harris, wonderful Mm -hmm. vice president of the United States. Yes. A graduate of Howard University.
3: Right. And and a member of
1: AKA. Yeah, absolutely. Alpha Mm -hmm. Kappa Alpha Alpha Sorority. Myself, Mm -hmm. graduate from Grambling State University, I was third generation in my family and my children are fourth generation, Grambling Knights, another Mm -hmm. historically black college. And, um, you know, and then I think people will say, well, we wanna hire people from our community. What they don't realize is that we, many of us are from their communities, many travel too. I grew up in San Diego, California, Mm -hmm. but traveled to Louisiana to go to those roots, to go to Grambling State University, came back, to San Diego for my doctorate work,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: certainly did my undergraduate at Grambling, then went to Louisiana Tech, and then came on back to San Diego. And that story is replicated in so many um, throughout
3: mm-hmm. the, uh,
1: the country. Our our organization, Neighborhood House Association, our CEO, product of Texas Southern University, oh, another yeah. historical black college. Mm-hmm. He's a member of your fraternity, that's right. Omega sci Um That's right. That's You know, our COO some time back was a uh, Kappa. Our current general manager over our um, ugh, I can't think of the name of that of the department because we've reorged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say E Education Instructional and Operations. Maybe is the mm-hmm. name of, of his of his um, department that he's responsible for. But he, too, went to Texas Southern and is a member of Kappa. Um, What is Kappa's name? Kappa Kappa Alpha Alpha Psi. Psi? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Kappa Alpha Psi. So definitely um, many products out there that can support in helping connect people to these um, various opportunities. Um, But like you said, putting the effort and energy into looking. Troy, I want to bounce us to your dissertation. Okay. And um, the study and work that you've been doing in looking at um, the community. So talk to us about that.
2: Sure. So this is a dissertation in the making. Um, mm-hmm. I'm uh, struggling through it as, as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. But w- what my focus is in, in looking at ways that we can uh, revitalize majority minority communities that are under distress. Okay. And typically, the approach that we take in revitalizing those communities results in gentrification, and I refer to it um, in my writing as gentrification displacement. Uh, gentrification by by itself is not uh, um, bad, but it has negative connotations because it usually comes with moving the members of the community out and moving uh, um, members who were not of the community in, and so there's got to be a way to to seek to get to revitalization. And in that research, uh, what I've looked at is the African diaspora and how the African diaspora um, uh, consists primarily of people who come from a communal uh, background or a background of culture that is collectivism. And collectivism is um, a mindset that says that uh, the the we is important. What we do do together is important. Relationships are important. Um, And that is very distinct and different from the European diaspora, if you will. The European diaspora um, evolved through what Adam Smith argued in 1776 in The Wealth of a Nation. Um, was based on this idea of creating individualism and specialization. Um, And um, that was a mechanism that allowed Europe to move from an agrarian-based economy into industrial revolution. uh, revolution. (laughs) Um, Industrialization was based on this idea that you specialize in one thing, and I specialize in another thing. And then we create this market where we can bring our specialties into the market and trade for what I produce, for what you produce. And therefore I can get access to food. I can get access to all these resources by being able to specialize and trade in this market. And that um, uh, approach is what he argues created wealth in Europe. And um, whether you want to call it an unintended consequence or not that created this isolation segmentation or individualism and that individualism i argue is the basis of colonialism so everything is um, a mechanism for power Um, everything is a mechanism for um, uh, use for gaining use of but for instance, it's um, a, a utilitarian perspective where everything serves a purpose to help you achieve power.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: so that is what was brought to this country that forcibly took people from the homeland of Africa and brought them to the United States. Um, and the westernized civilization that stemmed from that, colonialism, is built on this idea of specialization. And that is manifest today in our communities. Whereas our culture, uh, and I say our, being a member of the African diaspora, our culture is built on collectivism, working together. That is the fiber of our culture. And so when you put people into an environment where the structures are, Designed to to separate, segmentate, um, to promote individualism, that creates stress in the in the fiber of our community. Mm-hmm. And yes, we can survive under those circumstances because another attribute of the African diaspora is resilience and grit mm-hmm. <laughs> and and perseverance. Mm-hmm. But what I um, suggest in my my dissertation and in my writing is that prevents us from Thriving. Uh Uh So as we navigate a system that's contrary to our culture, we can survive, but we don't thrive. Uh And particularly when we um, are in majority-minority communities that are already distressed, the mechanism that we approach to revitalize has to recognize and acknowledge the collectivism quality of our culture, which means that we effectively it means that we have to break down silos. Mm-hmm. Our our communities are divided by healthcare care systems. Um, that's separate from government. Government is separate from education. Education is separate from business. Business is separated from faith communities.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And we've got these six silos that are the major silos that govern our community. Mm-hmm.
1: And so your argument is for threading these together. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we've got to take... Another commercial break. But when we come back, I want to hear a little bit more about that weaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, So please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
0: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood house Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back.
1: And we are back with more on Leadership Matters. Our guest today, Troy Bales, City Manager of Muskegon Heights, Michigan, mm-hmm. talking about a gumbo approach to co-creating safer and healthier communities. So I'm going to throw it back to you to talk about weaving together these systems. And can we have you name those systems again?
2: Sure. So the, the um, breakdown of the systems or silos that we find in our communities, the healthcare system, uh, government, education. Um, after education, we have the business community and the faith-based community. (laughs) So those are the, the main silos that we find in our community that are really a, a, um, uh, product of, you know, Adam Smith's argument about division of labor. (laughs) And he talks about how that division of labor, um, allowing us to separate, you know, makes us more productive, but for the uh, African diaspora, that um, doesn't culturally make us more productive. And, the, and if you think about the conversations about the world we lived in before uh, desegregation, um, and and obviously there are the um, the obvious negative ramifications of the of seg- segregation. However, within segregation, we had communities where things were blended. Um, The teachers lived next to the doctors that lived next to the mechanics. We lived in one community. And so there wasn't this silo silo, um, uh, structure that existed because we were forced to live in a community, which in many cases, like you look at Black Wall Street, was thriving Mm -hmm. because of the opportunity to blend across healthcare, because your doctor was right next door. He wasn't in a whole system that was downtown that you had to leave in order to get to. Um, And your teacher was right up the street. So you saw Mrs. Dorothy every day, and she was part of raising you and being part of your upbringing. Mm -hmm. And so in those environments where we were able to blend um, across these uh, typical social silos, we were able to create an environment that was... That was oriented around collectivism. Mm -hmm.
1: And I want to say here, Mm -hmm. because, you know, like after we had our conversation uh, initially, just kind of randomly, Mm -hmm. what came to mind for me, that was the gumbo.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And the roux, everybody knows if you're from, you know, the South, the roux is about the sauce, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if your sauce is off, everything else is going to be off. That's right. For me, the roux is compassion. Yes, if you yes. don't have compassion mm-hmm. as the rule that's running through everything, right. your sauce is contaminated, everything else is just going to be a little off.
2: That's right. Uh,
1: I just, um, I had to throw that piece in there because that's where the gumbo comes to me. It's, it's like everything working together, but the common thread through all mm-hmm. of it yes. to maximize the potential mm-hmm.
2: is compassion. I'm gonna to have to steal that from my uh, for my writing. <laughs> <laughs> please do it. Please do it. We
1: want to actually elevate that into the mm-hmm. national dialogue, that yes. we really become more compassionate with each other.
2: Right, mm-hmm. and that and that compassion comes from connectedness, from proximity, from association, from involvement, mm-hmm. from contact. And mm-hmm. so, when you separate us, you know, um, you, you don't get that.
3: Mm-hmm. So.
2: Um, and, and that's the crux of what I'm looking at, and specifically from my background, from the educational perspective, having been a superintendent, and as a uh, from the government perspective, as a um, city manager, I'm looking at how these two mammoth organizations can lead the way collaboratively to breaking down those silos. Mm-hmm. One of the experiences that I had as a police officer in Miami was the opportunity because we were required to spend an hour every week in an elementary school to be part of a reading program for kids. That was one tiny mechanism for breaking down the silos. And so through that, I had proximity, contact, relationship with those kids and developed a relationship where they had that compassion for me, and I had that compassion for them, and by extension to their families. Mm -hmm. So, when I saw me in the community, the kids would run up to me and give me a hug because I was in their classroom. Mm -hmm. So, now there was no longer this wall that separated Mm us.
1: And so, Troy, you said that was proximity, contact, and relationship. Yes. Absolutely Mm love that as a formula. And being able to weave these systems of healthcare, government, education, business, and faith together. Yes. I can certainly see how um, powerful uh, that could be in how just uh you know being intentional Mm -hmm. about creating these opportunities for proximity contact and building relationships can certainly lead to um a more um hopeful Mm -hmm. healthy um community
2: and if you look at that you could Mm -hmm. see why the pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on people Mm -hmm. of color Mm
1: -hmm.
2: because of the lack of contact and proximity (laughs) <laughs> mm hmm.
1: Well, and and when we think about that also, I mean, I know just from the work we've done in the uh, in my field with regards to cultural psychology, mm-hmm. you know, if you are um, if you have less, there is a forced need to um, be able to create systems that support each other within the family. Right. Mm-hmm. You have the extended family, you have the extended family, not only not only being aunties and sisters and so on, so right. forth, but it's going out to the community where you have play aunties, play mm-hmm. cousins. That's so many right. play aunties and play cousins, you grow up, you don't know who's a real cousin, who's a That's
2: real right. <laughs> uncle. This and Aunt that.
1: You're like, Oh, they're not related to us.
2: Right. That's work. not blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah. But all those things um, make a huge uh, difference with regards to kind of having that fabric uh, for support right. and um, in wealthier communities, you can actually literally afford individualism, individualism in a different way because you can buy services, buy support mm-hmm. um, that allows you to at least appear to be thriving.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Appear—that's the key mm-hmm. word. Yes. And really, you're you're surviving.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Pseudo thriving.
1: <laughs> yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy, what might be your final thoughts as we're wrapping up our conversation today?
2: Well, it's, it's, you know, it, it's an age-old theme that we need to work together. A rising tide raises all ships, mm-hmm. but understanding the dynamics that are at the core of our culture mm-hmm. and being intentional about um, doing things that resonate with that are the mm-hmm. mechanism that we can use to revitalize our communities together as opposed to separate from each other. So if uh, folks want to reach out to me and continue this conversation, I would love to do that. Mm -hmm. You can reach me via email at uh, latroy.bell at gmail. That's L-E-T-R-O-Y, T T as in tango, R-O-Y, dot bell, B as in boy, E-L-L, at gmail.
1: Okay, wonderful. Well, as always, you know, our conversations are so enlightening. and
2: I, I hate to uh, see it come to an end. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting back together again.
1: Yes, I definitely will look forward to a part two. And I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in today. Please mm-hmm. join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. or search Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White um, on the web and uh, download our podcast and listen at your convenience to Leadership Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
0: Thank you again for tuning in.